Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. So this week we are, this next three weeks, we are talking about suspense. There it is. We're talking about being all in. Ever seen one of these before? Yes. I was trying to describe this uh, to Justin as like a, a goodwill donation bin. And then he's like, I have no idea what you're saying. And he's like, oh, a laundry hamper. Do you have this much laundry? That's a problem. <laughs> you can see the guy on the screen, he, he is diving in. He is all in to the bin. And maybe we have all been in a scenario where we have been all in, whether that was on purpose or on accident, that you found yourself incredibly committed. <laughs> Missy and I ended up going backpacking in Glacier National Park. So this, this is, we are putting ourselves on purpose to an all-in scenario. We got our um, tents and food and clothes, everything is on our backs, and we're hiking in. And then we realize, oh, we would like this to end early because we are running out of uh, food and patience. <laughs> and uh, we, we will combine the last two days of hiking into one day of hiking. And uh, this would be the most hiking that we've ever done ever. We'll probably be fine. <laughs> and so then we get about halfway and we realize oh, we would like to stop. You don't get to stop. You are all in. And so it, it, uh, this, this picture of us right here is, is hiking halfway through. We're, we're almost out, but we're still pretty far away. We're kind of dredging along, and I'm just trying to fill the space, the silence, and I go, this is hard. And, <laughs> and Missy stops hiking, turns around and goes, what did you say? And I was like, oh, in my head, like, this isn't a conversation. Like, I don't know. I, this isn't worth stopping for. I just go, this is hard. And she just goes, shh, <laughs> and keeps hiking. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, pray for me. Pray for me, Missy. That's, that's probably what she was doing up there. We were all in, whether we liked it or not. And... One of the things that, that we read about in this passage in Romans is that Paul is calling us to be all in. He uses this language, uh, can we, uh, thank you, that uh, he says, be a living sacrifice. Is this verse, this, this 12, one through two, be a living sacrifice, uh, discern what God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect? Are you familiar with this? Have you heard this a few times before? Uh, I heard this all the time when I was working at a camp, and for some reason it got burned in my memory. I don't know if it was the theme verse or not, if we just kept saying it. Does anyone have this verse as a tattoo? That's okay, there's still time. <laughs> and so, oh, you do? No, she doesn't. <laughs> uh, so th this verse is uh, incredibly powerful inside the context if we read Romans 1 through 11 which we're not going to do. I'm going to give you the recap, though, because we're starting a good portion of the way through Paul's letter. 
So I want to give you some context of who is Paul, who are the Romans, and why does this matter so much? Why is this so powerful? Paul has this conversion story where he was uh, paid, he was, a, he was a Pharisee, given money and equipped to go out and kill people of the way. And you can read this in, I think it's in Acts 8, which is people who are saying that Jesus Christ is resurrected and he is king. He is paid to go and kill those people, to destroy their lives and, and uproot them because it's heresy in his mind. And then Jesus meets him on the road and says, Paul, what are you doing? I am calling you to something new. I am calling you to tell people about me. The very people that you were killing for me, you will become a messenger for me. And he does. And then goes on to write most of the New Testament. The guy who was murdering what we believe is now the writer and professor of what we believe. And so you have to hold that in context. Then the Romans, who are these people? It's, it's a letter, it's his mail that he's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome at the time, and they are an incredibly divided group. The Jews believing that you want access to God, you want to be with him, then you have to be one of us. You have to literally have our heritage. If you have our bloodline, then you have access to God. And the Gentiles are everybody else, and they're like, oh, I thought that it was, I thought it was about this guy. I thought this was access. And they're also confused and leaving people out. And then Paul writes uh, 11 beautiful chapters that recap the distance that humankind has created between them and God. Uh, Romans 1 is this beautiful recap of Genesis saying the depravity that we have can only be fulfilled in God, and so God is constantly meeting you. And maybe you're familiar with this. This is Romans 5. While you were enemies of God, Christ died for you. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Height nor depth, angels nor demons. Maybe this is familiar language to you. Paul is going through and telling them separately in the letter, there is no us and them. There is no distance anymore. It is only us. It is only one body. And this is weird to them because there is clearly an in and an out. There is clearly the people who look differently and the people who uh, say things that I might not say. Do you feel like the letter could have been written to us today? Does it feel like familiar language of division? So then we get to Romans 12, and the, the language that he starts with is, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is the first time that Paul uses unity language. Before, it was addressing Jew and Gentile, and now he says, we are one people. We are one people. Is it easy to see the difference between what I believe and what someone else believes. They don't believe in infant baptism. They don't believe in uh, purgatory. They think that the communion is, represents God's, uh, Jesus's body and blood and it, not, it isn't God's body and blood. It is easy to find the differences, to look at the yard signs in someone's yard and go, Hope that they cut their grass because no way I'm serving them. 
hope they got a snow, a snow thing, what is that called, snowblower, because there's no way I'm shoveling their, their sidewalk. Paul is calling for unity in the first sentence. Oh yeah, we have to go backwards a little bit. So he starts the sentence here with therefore, which uh, is another way of saying, in light of everything I've just said, the next stuff will be true. And in in light of what I've just said is the verses above the therefore. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. A reminder that God is good all the time. And all the time? Y'all know it? Let's go. So then this next part here. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What in the world does that mean? A living sacrifice. A living dead thing. D-E-D dead. A living dead thing. What does it mean to be a living dead thing? He's actually calling upon some familiar language back in the book of Numbers, which the people certainly would have known this history and this story. So let me show this to you here. This is Numbers 8. Oh, let me give you a quick context. Uh, The people have just come out of slavery in Egypt, and now God is establishing what does a relationship between God and man look like? Because there is this infinite goodness that God has, and he says, I am coming to you, I am making a pathway for you to have access to me, and I'm offering you these rituals of sacrifices and feasts, these will be the ways that I would love for you to interact with me. And so I'm sure the word sacrifice is a familiar word. Feast is a familiar word. There's like, I I think, this is not the right number. It's like 10 or 20 different versions of this, of ways that you get to be in his presence. And so here is one of the sacrifices that God is instructing of his people to do. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites. The Levites will be mine. This is a small group of people. After you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come and do the work at the tent of meeting. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn, the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. Sounds a lot like a living sacrifice, doesn't it? That God is describing a set group of people to live for him in responsibility for other people. That the Levites will stand in the place, just as the sacrifice does, will stand in the place of everybody else, doing the work of, in place of, when they can't, and asking nothing in return. It sounds a lot like a living sacrifice. But it's only to a set group of people. It's only to the Levites. And then we fast forward to to Romans, and a sacrifice has made access for all in Jesus. And then God creates this uh, 
this covenant that says, I want you to be the living sacrifice, not just the Levites anymore. It's all of us. What does this say about who our God is? That he is constantly building bridges between him and us. He is not the one moving away from us. It is us. And he is constantly building a path back that we have access. That this right here, Jesus, is the path back. And we are asked then to share that pathway with each other. And so how can there be division amongst any of us when we are always called to be path builders, way makers? So when he uses the language brothers and sisters, he says no more division. I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice, to be the connection to Christ for other people. Doesn't that change the way that we view each other? It makes it a lot harder to dehumanize, to other, to set apart me versus them when I now have to see the image of God on all people. You no longer get to select who is God's and who is not because he has said the image of God rests on you. Who's he talking to? The collective. You is not you, you is you. And better translation from Texas here, y'all. <laughs> That's the TIV version, the Texas International. <laughs> so in this next part in Romans here, it talks about your true and proper worship. in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Isn't it easy to see those words? You know, I'm talking to myself right here. Maybe you're in this pool. True and proper seen as right and wrong. It is really easy to confuse that language just based on English. But the better translation, the, the Greek word for true and proper is better translated as logical. Meaning, in light of everything that God has provided for you, in the path that he has constantly built towards you, doesn't it just make the most sense that you would offer yourself back? That's what that means, logical. How powerful is that to think about? In Romans 12, once you have heard the recap of God's goodness and constant chasing after you, that, God, that Paul would then say, doesn't it make the most sense that we would give everything of ourselves to our creator? Oh my gosh, that sounds hard. That sounds really difficult because I got stuff to do. I've got checklists to get done. When am I supposed to do this? Because it is really easy, and again, talking to myself, maybe you're joining me on this. It is really easy to go, I am offering myself to God. I volunteered this week. I, I gave my extra to that nonprofit, to that church. I'm doing that. And great, that is probably 10 to 15% of your life. God is not asking for 10 or 15%. He is asking for you. 
He is asking for you. And that is super difficult to understand because when does it stop? And when you look at the, the Levites being called to being a living sacrifice, they are bringing the presence of God wherever they go. The same is true of us today, that the sacrifice is always with us and we are bringing that sacrifice where we go. So that means where you go, God is there with you. Where you go, what you say, God is present in those moments. Which, I don't know if you have this confusion as, as much as I do, then what is of God and what is of me? When I do like really nice things, that's of God? Well, it's, it's like, it's easy to discern what is nice uh, when it's really obvious. I gave some money to you, that's like really nice and you're welcome. But what if it's like in this gray area where you're not sure? Like you showed up and you did your job. You showed up to work and you did like a decent job. It wasn't phenomenal, but no one's like, no one's upset at you. Is that of God or is that of you? I don't know. You get to wrestle with that. He's also bringing this to them. He's bringing this to the Romans, not as a, uh, it's like a 12-step argument for why you should be giving yourself to who God is. He's talking to a people whose lineage is directly connected to the uh, exodus out of Egypt. That this, this is a people who is constantly retelling the story of their salvation through God's rescuing of them. And now Paul is saying, remember that time? And they say, yeah, yeah. My great, 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 great grandfather told that story a hundred times. He's not making a logical argument here. He's talking about a real deliverance that they have experienced. And this is a real deliverance that we get to experience because God shows up in these tangible means of grace. And the easy ones to understand are like baptism, communion, the word, like, the, like this is not a Bible, but the Bible, this is one that's a lot harder for me, but it is true. The tangible means of grace is y'all. It's people that the Holy Spirit rests on people. And so you wanna be in God's presence, you gotta be with God's people. And sometimes God's people be difficult, right? <laughs> when talking about uh, and, and offer your bodies, it's going to require some doing. That he does, I think he's using this language incredibly intentionally because bodies, like, like um, to the Greek who were, re who were receiving this, was like a weird, embarrassing, we don't talk about that here. And, and Paul is saying it's, it's going to require some action. It's going to require some stuff that you might not be comfortable with, but it is not for your comfort, it is for your growth. And so he talks about how you're going to be doing some stuff. 
And I love this, this quote that I was reading, this commentary that talks about what it looks like to be doing some stuff. Then our feet will walk in his paths, our lips will speak the truth, and spread the gospel, our tongues will bring healing, our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks. Mundane tasks can still bring glory to God. As well as cooking and cleaning, typing and mending, our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved, our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed, and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. That is a list. And if for, any, for anyone who likes lists and wants to go, sure, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Write it down, I'll do it. Uh, here it is. And it, it's hard. Because <laughs> it requires yourself. So then what does it look like to be a living sacrifice that isn't this like, uh, uh, over, like you're compromising yourself. Because if I'm always doing, when do I get to sit and stop? When do I get to do some Netflix? Is that on the living sacrifice list? Because I need some rest every now and then. And I think what it really means to be called to be a living sacrifice is to extend yourself, not to break yourself. So what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? Maybe it means that you need to be reminded of God's love by being in his word daily. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe you're dealing with trauma from your childhood and you need professional counseling. Being a living sacrifice looks a lot like giving. When does being a living sacrifice look like receiving? Vulnerability. A willingness to accept and receive. So hard. Good luck with that one. Maybe a living sacrifice is maybe you need to let go of resentment and start on a path towards forgiveness. Oh my gosh, does resentment feel good? Mm, I feel right and justified in my anger. Resentment is like drinking a cup of poison and waiting for your enemy to die. Start on the path of forgiveness. Maybe being a living sacrifice looks like letting go of your busyness. Who is busy? Raise your hand. Who is busy? EJ just put his hand up because he saw everyone else put their hand up. <laughs> it is so easy to be busy. What if being a living sacrifice was killing your busyness and showing up for somebody? and being a presence of listening. Your ministry of presence has power, but it does not have power if you are not there. Your busyness might be something to let go of. Being a living sacrifice and extending yourself without breaking yourself could be uh, offering patience to your kid even when you're running on 1% because you know that they need it. Being a living sacrifice could be building an awareness of the stuff that you buy and how it might contribute to the exploitation of its workers. Ooh, 
Ooh. Mm-mm. No, no, go back to the easy list. Go back to the easy list. Look, I don't know what the answer is on that one, but I think it's something that we must wrestle with. That being a living sacrifice is the paying attention to and the alertness of other people and how we are affecting them. And the stuff that we buy is affecting other people. Now I wanna talk about what does a living sacrifice look like for us as a church? We sit here, physically the church sits here on a dividing line of Narragansett. And we get to choose to be a place that is for our members or to be a place for our non-members. And we are making choices in both directions with the low signs and like that is all for our non-members. What does it look like to continue down that path to be a church that is bridging gaps and bridging divides to say we will be the path maker and bring in a sacrificial love, an undying love to other people the same way the Levites did? And it can also feel like without a pastor is God's work on pause? Is God's work on hold until the next guy gets here? I should have said this at the beginning. I'm not the pastor. (laughs) It would have made way more sense if I opened that way. Let's rewind. I'm just a guy. I just go to church here. Let's fast forward to right now. Wouldn't it look, doesn't it look like God's work is on pause without a pastor? But the thing is, the living sacrifice is on every single one of us. And we are all called into his work. We are all called into using our lives for the goodness, bringing the goodness of God to earth. When God, when, go back to Numbers and the Levites, when God showed up on earth, it was in the temple, right there. It was no other place. It was in the temple. Now that the sacrifice lives in each one of us, where is God's presence now? Everywhere. It's everywhere. It is on each one of our lives. If you're looking for a list, just continue reading down Romans and check this out. Our relationship for, uh, one more, our relationship for what it looks like between God, ourselves, each other, evildoers and enemies, to the state, to the government, to the law, to the day of Christ's return, and to weaker members of, of the Christian community, it's all there. That looks like a lot of all-in language, doesn't it? And so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of what it means to be all in. Right now, starting with our lives and then moving on to, you know, the other things. 